Hey everyone, Matt here. Just wanted to let you know before the episode begins that due to the subject matter of the film, we discuss suicide a bit in this episode. So if that's a no-go for you, we totally understand. And just a reminder that if you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please reach out immediately to the Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. Number will also be down in the description. And yeah, thanks so much to everyone for listening. We really do love discussing films with all y'all. And with that in mind, on to the show. What is up, Internet? Now, we all know Kerry's my favorite. Then Kev, then David, then Mike. But the rankings can always change. My name is Matthew Kroll. And we're here to restore justice to the wrestling federation that our father built with his own two hands. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, The Iron Claw. Oh, yeah. I know I just mixed genres. I don't care. No, you mixed wrestlers, right? Like, that was the whole wrestlers. Well, and 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 companies. Listen, we're going to be very corrected <laughs> on all of our wrong wrestling takes because today this podcast Shahir is scheduled for one fall Topam fam it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the show executive producer showrunner wrestling super fan and one of my oldest NYC MTV friends and the only person on this podcast to have ever worked on an actual wrestling show with me back in the day even ever so <laughs> briefly Andrea Barinas what up what up what up what up <sighs> <laughs> uh, Here I am. Got to do my pose for you. Yeah. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. She's. I, please. Are you gonna rep the shirt? I don't. I don't. I don't watch the wrestling anymore. I don't know what's the Is protocol. This like girls gone wild. It's just. Yeah. It's just twelve shirts. So it's like eleven shirts. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Audrey. We've been trying to get you on for a while. Yes. Uh, we've been talking a lot about a Die Hard episode, but we missed the boat on that. And you, you can't, you've been texting us uh, ferociously about whether Die Hard is a Christmas <laughs> movie or not. But because but it I, is, it is. Because it more is. than anything, this was the perfect movie to get you on. We've been trying to get you on for a while, and a wrestling movie, no less, seems like the perfect fit. Um, Honestly, yeah. Go. You are the yeah, you are the biggest you know, wrestling they, fan I know. I will. Thank you. That is like one of the greatest compliments I've ever received. Um, I will say this, like, you know, there's been a ton of different wrestling movies that have come out. There's been lots of uh, content that is all over the place about wrestling. And I will say that it is lovely to be here. It is lovely to have a conversation with you guys who I respect your opinions very much, but I cannot wait to correct you. Um, and <laughs> I will say I'm pr- very protective over um, anything that's done about wrestling. So I have thoughts, I have feelings, um, and I'm ready to tell you about them. Well, first, tell us where did the love begin? Like where the wrestling love? Like, I mean, yes. how far does this go back? And what is the what is the thing that keeps you coming back? So I am a fan um, that has never stopped being a wrestling fan. And I think that's pretty rare because I feel like wrestling, sports entertainment, um, it is something that people ebb and flow on. Like you are in for a few years, then you're out for a few years. Um, I started when I was like three or four um, and I I have a brother and a sister. I have older cousins and... You know, I just remember it being on on the TV when we were all in like a playroom hanging out. And I was like, these people are wild, you know, <laughs> being like four years old. I had no idea what I was watching, really. And I remember it's it was just something that 
you know, maybe I shouldn't have been watching it, but I yeah. sure was. And I think as my mom specifically like started realizing I was watching it, she would watch it with me to be like, what is my seven year old watching? Um, and she was like, it's a soap opera. She's like, it is a true blown soap opera with wrestling in the mix. So, you know, that's something that like I just attached to. And it's interesting on where I've landed in my life in the sense of in my opinion, it's the most beautiful form of storytelling. So I think the fact that I'm a TV producer and that I put on live events and all of that good stuff, just it it kind of flowed out of me from there. And I just love it. And I think it's so great. And I think like anything else that we have that we love in our, our worlds, it, it there's moments where I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, this should be so much better. But there's moments where I'm like, I will take that with me forever. So it's a it's a wonderful thing to be a wrestling fan, despite what the internet wrestling community says on Twitter, where I am constantly defending it. Listen, <laughs> I, as as someone who is part of a different community, the gaming community online, uh, there is no one who <laughs> hurts the message more than the people themselves in that. Like, like it's it's very interesting how uh, very passionate people can move oh, yeah. things around in 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 um less than Bonkers. helpful ways. Um, <laughs> yes, keep that it was nice a nice way of saying it. So yeah. uh, the, the, the thing I was hinting at was back in the day, we, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, I, I'm trying to remember, because again, my mind is a bag of cats, but there was a show at MTV2 called yes. Lucha Libre Masked Lucha Libre. Warriors, <laughs> which yes, was a redub. Basically, we got a bunch of footage from yeah. this wrestling company and we were to turn it into uh content, a, show. a show for MTV2 to the point where we were building backstage <laughs> moments out of random footage and making them into yes. other things, like trying to get as creative as possible with it. I mean, it was, I remember Paul Ritchie was running MTV2 then, yep. he was our boss. And he called me into his office one day and he was like, hey, I need you to put together a rest, <laughs> uh, a format from Monday Night Raw, which is I thought you were going to say, I need, you, I need you to put together a team. <laughs> yeah, no, I, my God. He was like, here's some wrestling trunks. Yeah. Um, no, he was like, I need you to put together a format. And I was like. First of all, I wanted to be like, I have like seven over here. But I was like, <laughs> yeah. you mean you want me to like watch Monday Night Raw like in the office and like put together show format? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I am on it. I'm never going to work harder for you in my entire life. <laughs> so we ended up putting that together. And it was the basis of what we were going to do for the two hour version of Lucha Libre. And Matt and I, I remember sitting in an edit with you, Matt, being like, so there's really no parameters for anybody. Yeah. Like, we were... Like it was like one of those things where it was like put Andrea on this project, put Matt on this project and just let them go. And I don't know if you remember a certain character or not, but oh, sexy star star. Yeah. Oh, sexy yeah. star. Yes. Yeah. Sexy star sexy was star. like we won. Yeah, we we redid. I forget why, but we redid the intro music. It was like. Echo, 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 sexy star. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like, it was, it was me just going, sexy star. And then Andrea going, sexy. Like in the background. Oh my God. I wish we still had that. I have that file somewhere. I'll find it. Anyway, uh, it was such, it was so much fun. And again, so uh, I obviously am not nearly in the uh, uh, fan pantheon that you are for wrestling, but um, that was, I'd been in two stages of my wrestling fandom up and down by that point. So getting to work with you on that is always one of my, my favorite 
uh, MTV memories because it was just indicative of that time of like, oh, like Paul knew you knew what you were doing and it had to get done. So it's like, just go. And we're like, okay. okay. <laughs> I was like, us? Yeah. Like, we're doing this? The, okay, the inmates were running the asylum. It was very, very fun. <laughs> Well, in addition to that, Andre, you are now also a showrunner on several shows that people who listen to the show might know about. Uh, the one that you've got upcoming is the People's Choice Awards, which you just announced the host, mm-hmm. Simu Liu, uh, for uh, yesterday. But also the nominees yes. were announced yesterday. Uh, can you tell us a little, oh, yeah. a little bit about, like, I don't know, I, I, we obviously don't want to get any behind-the-scenes process for uh, something like the People's Choice Awards. But, like, how, how much do you get involved or are sort of interested in the movies that come through. We'll, we'll just stick to the movies just to narrow the subject choice down a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing about People's Choice, and this is my first year on People's Choice proper. I actually just did People's Choice Country Awards um, in the yeah. fall. Okay. But the interesting thing about this show is that there isn't, like there isn't an academy that's voting on it. The academy are, are the fans, which is right. the best part, right? So I think you look at what the past year has been and there's obvious standouts of of what fandoms took over. I mean, Barbenheimer, right? Like, like yeah. everything that's like in a true way, like it's really the people's the people's vote that makes all these happen. So I think that's what it's not necessarily going to be the movies that you see at the Oscars or that you see at the Golden Globes or that you see in more traditional award shows. This is a little bit more pop culture leaning. This is a little bit more of like who has the broadened crowd really been drawn to. So I think that's a little bit of the difference in this award show as compared to some other ones. And do you, like, I I know from the showrunner's point of view, you don't necessarily need to do this, but do you actually sit down to watch the movies? Oh, I mean, we anybody that's having a conversation about it, we, we absolutely should be watching them. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing as like when we worked across like MTV Movie Awards. It's like yeah. I just and and I was an intern on the MTV Movie Awards in 2004. Yeah. And I remember running across the city buying DVDs so people could take them <laughs> home night after night to watch them. And so that's the thing. It's like. Of course, there's always buzz and hype. And of course, you know, the ones that are absolutely going to make it. But for the like, there's films that I'm sure I wouldn't have watched if it wasn't the case of I should watch this because we may be doing a bit with this. We may have that talent on stage. Our host may be a part of it. So I think you always want anybody involved um, on that show that or on that show and any award show for that matter that to actually watch the films and the TV and the music and all of that. It's a lot of content. Yeah, there's a so yeah. much, and the, I have so much wrestling to watch every week, so it's really hard <laughs> to fit it all in. <laughs> yeah, um, and in terms of, so we won't get into any specifics with any of the specific movies, but I'm curious what you've been watching in the last year that you did really enjoy. Like, what what was actually getting you excited about movies in the last year? Yeah, I you know it's interesting. I think you know the hype of like seeing a double feature of two films that was like so opposite ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Uh, uh, I I think that like, for me, that was a really unique experience in this. And I did it. I did the the, the two a day. You did the double later. Um, I did. And it was, you know, I had to go to bed after. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But like, I think it's really cool. And I would say that's probably the standout just because it showed how much that like the average Barbie viewer may not have gone seen Oppenheimer, you know, like the average Oppenheimer person may not have wanted to go see Barbie. And I think that's a very broad statement in the sense of like people that aren't going to see every movie that's out there. Right. right. So I think the fact that like 
two very unique audiences were like, let's fucking go and like <laughs> see that. I think that that's a really special moment for the past year. It's a memification for opinion. Yeah, it's a memification for good. It's like it it's yes, it's a yes, thing that positive. took over that was not in my opinion anyway, annoying and just felt like a, mm-hmm. a weird like it was it was a celebration of different art forms uh through the art of meme. Like and it was, it's such an interesting thing that that happened. And I, we've talked about it on the show before, how like other, other, like the, obviously the studio saw that and was like, oh, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. So they tried doing things like um, the Paw Patrol movie and Saw 10 came out. So there was right. actually <laughs> Saw Patrol, like they were trying to make Saw Patrol. You can't mo- force that. No. And it's just, I don't know. I just, it was such a nice organic nonsense yes. thing. I think uh, it also speaks to like where we are in pop culture with like the meme point of view. Like I think that like we're so used to, or maybe not us, but like a generation oh, below us. us is so <laughs> definitely, definitely us. <laughs> so so used to um, like snackable content, instant yeah. gratification, all of that. The fact that these two films were quite long and like it was a it was a day. You're committing yourself to a, like a lot of hours of of movies, a film. I think you're right. It that's a, a great. Word. Is a, it was a celebration, like yeah. it was a celebration of cinema and pop culture. So I think that was a really fun standout moment. The um would, was that would that have been so this year due to uh I, I guess the the best play, way I can put it is due to uh floor space constraints we did not do at the annual white elephant <laughs> holiday party uh the movie interviews for uh, our 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 top yeah. ten eventually that will release in June of 2024 but like would <laughs> would would the Barbenheimer sort of thing be the movie that you would have talked about uh on that yeah I. I think the experience yeah. would have been it. I think that's what, it, like, not necessarily either film, but I think the experience of going and, like, committing to that day, I think that would have probably been my my topic of conversation, which yeah. probably would have been a popular one at yeah, the Fabulous Christmas so. party that was. Yeah. I wonder, um, so. so there's a tradition um, backstage on award shows. We've all worked in award shows, and this might be new to our listeners or something like this, but, like, when you're working on an award show, uh, there's usually a thing called uh, putting on your show Blacks, uh, which mm-hmm. is that uh, when you're backstage at a show, you should always wear black just to like not uh, distract anyone and just to kind of be uh, a little bit inconspicuous. I wonder if this year with Barbie and Oppenheimer being so big, there's either going to be show pinks or show tweeds. <laughs> is there like a decision I that's mean, being made behind the behind the scenes of the People's Choice Award about what uh, the crew are going to wear? Well, this is the thing. It hasn't <laughs> been brought up yet, but yeah. thank you for that idea. Well, I mean, now. Well, now I'm going to be in a full hot pink with a with a tweed blazer, right? Yes. So, yeah, a mix there. Uh, Show tweeds, I think. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. For. I'm sure that um, when the cameras catch me running backstage, that they'll be like, "Oh no, she totally blended in." Yeah, uh, not <laughs> one bit. Not one bit. I, ironically enough, though, most of my um, rehearsal outfits because like you know when you're getting into rehearsals and you're dealing with talent and all of that you, you try to look a little bit like put together yeah. um most of my wrestling um, wrestling what most of my backstage rehearsal day outfits do have a wrestling t-shirt in the mix so that's always <laughs> and it's always something that you'd be surprised because um a lot of talent on stage or a lot of you know people around them will be wrestling fans and they'll be like is that Vince McMahon's mugshot on your shirt? Like, <laughs> so my favorite story about sure this is, is. <laughs> as the MTV EMAs, I think it was in Frankfurt. Uh, mm-hmm. what, did, were you there? I can't, rem- I can't recall if you came oh, to yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
for some reason, everyone got sick, and I was um, yes. and I was the last man standing, and I had not planned to be anywhere except the edit suite. But so I was wearing like some really shoddy, you know, Shahir style <laughs> clothes, like track pants or whatever. And and like suddenly there were like um, there was like, hey, we need to go film this interview, and and I needed to film it, and it was with Taylor Swift. And so I'm standing. Oh my gosh, I like, was with you. I was were you with me? It. Yeah, were yes. you there? Have oh, we all was met it us? Taylor Swift? Just you two were together. Yeah, it was just yes. me and Weird. Andrea and Taylor Swift. And, and it was, was like it was like a restore the shore read. Or something I, that's like what that it was. For, yeah, she was Sandy. lovely by the yeah. way. She was she was delightful. Yeah, she was great. But it was like there was this this panic that sit over me. It was like, why did I wear this shirt today? <laughs> like the day I'm going to meet Taylor Swift. Um, so there's so if you uh, for anyone who's listening, if you ever do work in an award show, really even on rehearsal day. <laughs> Anything can happen, and that's kind of Anything the fun of an award. Anything can happen in an award show, which is, I think, uh, the fun of working well, on an award show like that. I I remember the Woody Awards for MTVU. Um, Chance the rapper before he was like really known, he showed yeah. up the wrong day. He showed up the day before, and we oh were like, God. yeah. So we were running around with like <laughs> Travis Laubacher was my camera, like our DP. He was. I was like, we just have to get a quick like acceptance. I had to grab an award, and like yeah. we basically rolled in tape the next day because. And that's in Austin, Texas, day. as well. So if you're not yeah. wearing shorts, something is wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> true. Very true. So we oh, are man. here to talk about Sean Durkin's The Iron Claw. It's on a list of many films that we have to get through before the end of the year because it is touted to be one of the best films of the year. Um, well, we failed at that. Before the end of the year show that we do. Oh, before the end of the year show, yes. Because <laughs> yeah, we, the... we messed up hard. Well, yeah. well, in my mind, 2024 doesn't end until I finished watching the movie. All right. Okay. Yep. That's um, fair enough. Uh, fair. Oh, sorry, of 2023. I don't even know what year it is. Yeah. Anymore. I'm like, where are we? Um, what, what day is it? But uh, Sean Jerkin is a filmmaker that I've been following for a little bit. I'm. Uh, I saw his. Uh, I don't know if either of you saw his first film, Martha May May Marcy May mm-hmm. Marlene with uh, Elizabeth Olsen. I did not. Um, he made a follow up film, The Nest, which I haven't quite caught up with yet, with Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Uh, but you know, a, a tremendously gifted filmmaker who is. Um, I think that the word that I thought of when I saw Martha Macy Mar- May Marlene was enigmatic. Um, I also recall um, seeing an early cut of the short film that he made before that as well. And it is, it's a film obviously about a young woman who is um, indoctrinated into a cult and is leaving it. But you're not actually quite sure what's happening in that movie for the most mm. part of it. So I was really curious to see what he was going to do with ostensibly... Um, you know, you could argue wrestling is a pop culture phenomenon. It is, it's, it's, it, it spans the globe. Now, uh, admittedly, that's my interpretation of it coming in from like an 80s kid watching the Hulk and WrestleMania and that sort of thing. But this is a period that's slightly earlier, uh, the Von Erichs. And this is a story that I, admittedly I knew nothing about. And I mm. kind of wanted to go in knowing absolutely nothing about it because I wanted to have that experience of like, how is this particular filmmaker, this storyteller, who I've known to be enigmatic, going to tell me this story? Um, but Andrea, just very cur- uh, starting up, how familiar were you with the with the story of the Von Erichs? Oh, very, very yeah. familiar. Um, and I think the Von Erichs, like if you're a wrestling fan and – you know, wrestling is very different now than it ever was, um, right. even in the past 20 years. And think about that. This is like late 70s, early 80s. Like this is, you know, uh, however old we are. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a mystery to everyone. Yeah. Everyone. 40 <laughs> plus, um, you know, and uh, this family was so respected um, and 
it, they were a true like, oh, the Von Erics are coming into the town or coming into town. Like, oh, you know, they're they're a territory family. Um, and I think anybody that really was involved with wrestling as a fan would you know, try to get like whatever they're called now is like the dirt sheets, but you would try to like trade tapes with people in in your area. You would try to get the magazines that would come out months after the matches, but you still wanted to learn all about it. I remember getting like a random channel on our cable and being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get NWA. Like this is going to be insane. I can't wait to watch it. So I was very familiar with the family. And I think like as you know, um, Kerry in WWF, like Texas Tornado, that was like, that was, when I made the correlation that tech, like that Kerry Von Erich, when they said his name and I was like, whoa, one of that's the Von brothers, like, yeah. And little kid me being like eight or nine, I was like, mom, that's such a big deal. And she was like, uh-huh, Texas Tornado, got it, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but I was very familiar and like, also, once the internet was the internet, I mean, how could you not do a deep dive on this family if you knew even a hair about them? So, so did you know, did you know this? Because ostensibly, this this deals with a tra uh, a series of tragedies that happens with the Iron Claw uh, with mm -hmm. this family. Were you aware of the tragedies, or were you aware of them just as a wrestling legal legacy? So it, it's it's interesting, right? Like. I remember vividly as a little kid being like, where's the Texas tornado? Right. Like it was just like one day he was there and one day he wasn't, which is something that happened and still happens where it's like your favorite wrestler is no longer part of, you know, the show anymore. But in my mind, I was like, oh, he's like back in Texas doing whatever, like little kid me not thinking something right. tragic happened. But, you know, once I hit 15 and could research on my own, I was like, the entire family's gone. Like, you know, like right. that kind of mentality. So, yes, going into this film, I knew the tragedy and I knew what was missing. And I knew, um, you know, that other pieces of content have been out on this family. I've watched interviews with with Kevin and I've watched, you know, unfortunately, some of the content that's out there that is very, very negative spinning. So oh. um, I think like I mentioned earlier, you know, I didn't know a lot about Sean Durkin. I didn't. Yeah. And I immediately was like, who the F is this guy that's going to do a film about the Von yeah. Erics? Like, it was almost like he had to earn my trust in order for me to want to see this movie because I was like, it, the, the second you don't have the right research and the right team and the right passion behind something like this about this industry, you lost me. Yeah, so right. It'd be I, like if I, I made I a wrestling movie. I'd be like, who is yeah, yeah, who yeah. that? And, and also, why have you not picked up the phone and told me I'm producing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like. So with that in mind, like in terms of earning your respect, when there was a very publicized first um, group shot of the cast. Um, and mm -hmm. I think most notably the thing was Zac Efron's, tra you know, body transformation was the thing that people were focusing on most. But mm -hmm. when you saw that group shot, did like how did how did you react to a the casting the look the the sort of sense yeah. of who the brothers were like how did that all play into someone who actually knows this this lore? I think you see it, and again, like my first instinct was like almost like a little bit of like a pit in my stomach. To be honest right. with you, it was it was very much like Ugh, I hope they're going to do this the right way because like I think of Zac Efron, I think of heartthrob um, who is. An amazing actor and, you know, oh, I just wanted to show, there? just bring up that image just so. That oh, thank you. Helped. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a little bit like, oh, I hope they're going to do this the right way. And I think like they leaned into the 80s of it. They leaned into the hair and like 
every brother obviously looked very different, but they had the same overall like tone to them, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I think it was very much, you know, Jeremy Allen White is a little bit different in stature than, you know, uh, Carrie was. I think you're never going to get everything exactly how you want it. But I saw that picture and I was like, okay, let's see what happens. Um, but for me, it was really... I was I was like down in the Reddit holes, okay? Like when right. this was first announced, like before the trailer, before any of before that imagery, I was in the Reddit holes of how's he doing this movie? Right. Who has he brought in from the industry that makes sense? And once I heard, and it wasn't confirmed because none of this was ever out there confirmed. It was just like, oh, I saw that, you know, Chavo Guerrero Jr. is gonna be a part of this. He's gonna help with like the wrestling choreography. He's gonna help wrestling produce. The Guerrero family is another massive family in this industry. Mm -hmm. And like hearing that he brought on Chavo, I was like, okay, I will pay attention a little bit more to this and like give you a little bit more credit because that is an amazing person to bring on to a film for this. Like that is somebody that knows how to tell a story and is going to keep the integrity of what you're doing. Like I don't see Chavo as somebody that's just going to be like, oh, sure, you want me to show them how to do a body slam? No, I'm going to show them how to do facials in between the ma in, in between each right. move. And I'm going to show them how to tell the story in the ring. He's not going to give up the integrity of his sport either. So that I think was the turning point for me where I was like, okay, he's – you know, Durkin starting to to do his due diligence. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, again, also uh, maybe for people who don't uh, who are listening from outside of the United States, I, I, although I think it's quite um, prevalent, is that wrestling is one of the biggest sports uh, like sporting events that you can have in in the United States, right? So it's it's lar it, it, the scale of it is hard to kind of fathom if you if you don't live here, perhaps. But it's it, so my point being that it's impossible to do a film about. The, you know a, a wrestling legacy like this without doing history or having uh, a team of people involved It'd be like trying to do a film about Ferrari or NASCAR uh, without having consultants mm -hmm. involved it seems like it's it's larger yeah. than life and it's also premier and maybe we should get this conversation out of the way first they they mention this in this film they mention this in in the wrestler it's kind of a topic that is always brought up when it's come around wrestling I think even That's Andre fake. you and I have talked about it is the how do we negotiate or just discuss the the sort of of storytelling of wrestling, you know, like how it's done, sure. how you feel about it. You know, like it comes up all the time for people, generally for people who don't follow the sport. You know, it's like, well, it's a fake, right? right? Well, yeah. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time somebody yeah. finds out I'm a wrestling fan, because like one, like maybe now I look like more like a wrestling fan because wrestling is so broad. But if I tell you even 10 years ago, people would be like, you were a wrestling fan. And I'm like, take the judginess off your face. Number yeah, one. Right. Um, like I am. I mean, I think if you know me for two minutes, you know, I'm a wrestling fan. Right. Like that's not yeah. something that I've, I've ever I had. I think it's pretty much the or, first thing you opened with when we met. What's up? Do you know Shawn Michaels? Cool. Yeah, you yeah. don't? Well, you're about to. You, you know? were born with a Heartbreak um, Kid t-shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, yes, it's true. I have my I have my HBK ring on right now. Um, I will say this. Yes, I get the the it's fake. It's, mm. you know, the storytelling aspect. Listen, this is it's a it, it's been titled sports entertainment for the past X amount of years. And right. I think that's a really great descriptor um, because it is still a sport. Absolutely. Like the physicality of it all. But yeah. it is entertainment. It's it's storytelling. So are there moments of this of each match? Are there moments of each show that are predetermined? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is. 
So is most of the TV shows that are out there. So is most of the movies that are out there. It's scripted. Um, yeah. I, but I was it's, gonna, it's. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to add in. I was like the thing I found about people that and, and I think I've I've I can say this because I've, I think myself have successfully managed this arc. When you're younger, and uh, at least I'll talk for myself, when I was younger and like maybe in my 20s when I was more of a, a hyper smart ass, it's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, wrestling's fake, like whatever. Like yeah. it, because you're trying to maybe even a little bit younger, like teenage years, like because you're like, oh, I have information like I don't give a shit, like whatever. Yeah. But then the the, the secondary argument that I found as especially, you know, cinema, uh, television, theater uh, like mm-hmm. theater, I think, is the most, in my opinion, sort of um, congruous with wrestling, because like the second someone denounces wrestling because it's air quotes fake and the storyline is determined. I'm like, you you've seen a play, right? Like you, Shakespeare. Yeah. Like you, you know that they're not just making that up on the spot. Right. Uh, but, but you cannot you can appreciate that that the reason people are kind of having that response is that it's a live event. Uh, so is and it's a live and, and it's a live sporting event. So yeah. unlike basketball or NFL, where the where the where the uh, the outcome is not the predetermined, outcome. you know it, yeah, that that's know probably of. where that comes from. No, no, I get it, but it, it it always bugged me how like it's just one step too far. Like when I go see uh, Macbeth, I'm not like, oh my god, they're really on the field there. Like there's really right. a battle going on, and like right. I get that it's one step a little further. Yeah. But like it shouldn't it should never I, I think it's a, I, I, the best word that's coming to my mind right now is sort of like the edge lordy take of like, oh, it's fake, whatever. You're denouncing it in that way. But the yeah. athleticism and what goes into being able to tell the story in the way that they do is the athletics. And I don't think it's a yes. crazy jump. Like and so it's always since I've. <laughs> in, not, this isn't even my final form, but since I've transcended that sort of like edgelordiness <laughs> of my youth, I've always been like, really, that's your first. Wow. Oh, geez. That, that's your first reaction. Cool. Yeah. But, and then and then I think uh, maybe just another way to, to sort of think about it, though, is the tradition of wrestling also uh, wrestling as we know it right now is very different from um, college wrestling or yeah. something like that. Uh, which sure. Is, again, sure. More of a sports event. But this is more derived from uh, car- the carny tradition and circus traditions, right, where there actually are predetermined story outcomes. Um, and it's more about telling a story than having an actual um, sporting event, so to speak. Although, as this movie points out, as the wrestler points out, as everyone kind of points out, there is a huge degree of athleticism involved. Um, injuries are real, you know, like, the, you know, uh, yeah. was the documentary Beyond the Mat um, kind of really highlighted for me as, as I was growing up uh, as well, that um, w- yes, we can sort of say that the storylines are fake, but they're meant to be. They're also broad strokes. You know, there are evil villains, sheiks, you know, the, yeah. you know, uh, um, all that sort of stuff. Lines. Yeah, they're storylines. I don't think you can say storylines are fake. Like they're yeah. storylines, right? Like they're yeah. not like, I don't even think the word fake has to be used in that kind of context. It's like, it's telling a story. They're storytellers. Yeah. They're the ultimate storytellers. Um, and I think it's something where it's like, Matt, you said, said the word cinema earlier um and this will tie back and i promise i won't take us too too far off keep it going go off thank you but so currently in the wwe there is the ananoa family called the bloodline and that's roman reigns the rock is a part of it the usos are a part of it it's just a it's a true family that is in the wrestling industry right and over the past 18 months probably year and a half um 
the bloodline storyline in WWE has been called cinema over and over and oh. over. And they've said if there ever was a time where this show should be nominated for an Emmy, it is for their storytelling with the bloodline. Right. And I couldn't agree more. And that isn't like, listen, I'm, I critique all of the things because I love it so much. Um, and because I think I can, you know? Yeah. So I, when, when you said that, Matt, that brought me back to the bloodline, which is current. And the fact that the constant comparison is like, if you look up the bloodline and cinema on like Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's the constant. It's like, this is pure cinema. Bloodline equals cinema. Cinema storytelling equals bloodline. Like it's just, it's been constant and it's never, and it hasn't stopped. And I think that just shows you how, you know, you can start in such a different place in an industry and get up to a point where the respect factor that people are giving it, like you're getting eyes from all different places on the product now. Um, and again, the bloodline is a wrestling family like the Von Erics. Right. And that tends to be a very um, consistent thing in this industry. It's like if you're in it, we're in it. Right. All right. these cousins are in it. All like it's it's a very family oriented business. And it was even more so back 40 years ago. I was going to say, if we're talking enemies, I would have started that conversation around the Ministry of Darkness times, but that's just because I was a I mean, um, love it. Yeah, yeah, that was, it's funny, that's bringing up the sort of showmanship and the and the performance uh, of wrestling. Those are the times that I ebbed into wrestling because the, the, the to be honest, I mean, the physicality is obviously impressive, but I never was there for it. I don't think like mm -hmm. I was there for when The Undertaker was collecting evil uh, wrestlers to uh, go after yeah. Vince and Stephanie McMahon. I would, but then even that was like my second time. And my first time was when like the the, in my opinion, again when I was very very little, the much more larger than life wrestlers were out. Like I didn't yeah. pay much attention honestly to the Texas Tornado in time before that because I think mm -hmm. as a as a little little kid, I'm like the things that got me excited were Hulk. Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, yeah. like even even Ric Flair to a point because I I just saw this like flash and I'm like, oh, the, this is nuts. Like these are these mm -hmm. are these are superheroes. These are comic book characters. Totally. And, like they don't exist in real life. And then yeah. every time every time wrestling is sort of I, I, I won't like it ebbed away from that level of um, excess no matter what mm -hmm. genre that excess is, is when I dip out. And I always find myself dipping in whenever it goes up, like back. I went to a, uh, an AEW match for the first time two years ago with friend of the show, Sedan Dadlaka and uh, Patrick Willems. Oh, cool. And, and Sedan is like, he, I should Massive. just get you in a room with him, Andrea, because he, that you two would just <laughs> go. But um, it was so fun watching someone who, I mean, I didn't know, I knew like, I knew uh, Billy Gunn is over there, yeah. I believe. And that was the one yeah, his, person that I recognized, yeah. but the show yeah. was great. And it was, there was lots of over the top stuff. And like, it was great to watch someone who was such a deep fan and that everything sort of meant so much to like experience these things. Like I got to sort of, uh, you know, absorb yeah. some of that. It's very nice. It's awesome. The energy level at a live event is unreal. I always say, like, you're not a fan. Come with me to one show. You'll be a fan by yeah. the time you leave. So, but uh, so we all got to go see the Iron Claw in the last week. Matt, could you tell us what Sean Durkin's The Iron Claw is about? And I think we should probably preface at this point. It's very hard to discuss this movie without discussing spoilers. Yeah. So if you haven't yes. seen the film at this point, uh, this is going to be a fairly spoiler-filled conversation. Uh, agreed. Okay. <clears throat> IMDb says 
that the Iron Claw <laughs> is as follows. The true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s. Okay. I, that sure. is a description that, that fits-ish. Matt, again, I'll ask you, uh, what? how would you describe the film? I would take out the word true. Because, listen, I think this movie does... I'll sort of just jump in very quickly to some first thoughts. I think this movie does an excellent job at what I imagine the emotion and vibe were around these brothers and this family, but it does take a lot of liberties. And I always, I just, I've always like, it is a true story. You have very much modified elements of it to make the story work in the medium that you're doing. I, Absolutely. Like, so I, and I don't, I, I'm not bemoaning changes and I'm not saying like, oh, it needs to be entirely accurate. I'm, and this is, it's so funny, Audrey, because I literally just judge the IMDb descriptions so hard on these things. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anyone who made the movie. And I'm just like, oh man, I would have done the description different. Uh, so it's a pointless conversation, but that's the one word I'd remove. I think I just remo remove the, the true story or, you know, you right, could say like inspired by on, true events. Inspired or, by, yes, yeah. exactly. That's it. Exactly. I think otherwise. It's pretty accurate. So, Andrea, um, as the wrestling super fan in the room, as someone who's um, courted around the shows itself, um, more intimately aware of the storylines, um, how did you find the experience of watching The Iron Claw? Um, I mean, listen, I knew what I was getting myself into. Um, so it was almost like I was prepared for every kind of tragedy that was coming my way. But I will say this, and I think this may be a take that is unique to me a little bit, but I was almost relieved that the wrestling aspect of it seemed secondary to the family dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, because I wouldn't say this is a wrestling movie. Like, that's not how I would put this in that category. I think wrestling is what they did. I think this is a love story of brothers. Um, and I think that was something that um, Kevin, you know, who is still here with us. Yeah. Um, I think he really wanted that to be. I think that was like if I, I think he was OK with this as long as that point was across was that this is about a family of brothers that loved each other and supported each other the best that they knew how without being able to have like the fragility of being a man. Um, I think that's a big topic as well is like, you know, 40 years ago, you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to feel these emotions. You're supposed to move things forward. I think it's a dynamic of father and son and, and parents and children. And I think that's for me was a little bit of a, oh God, I hope this isn't just going to be a dark underbelly storytelling of circus life of wrestling. Right. Um, I think it's incredibly tragic on the what it's actually based on the family dynamic but um you know i kind of came out of it being like oh okay they yeah. didn't just you know because i think like if you were to replace what they did for a living with some other sport or some other it, it was about falling short for somebody that expected things from you yeah yeah so, you know, it's interesting that you said it, you don't think it considered it a wrestling movie. And I, I tend to sort of agree a little bit. Um, obviously, wrestling and the dynamics of wrestling, particularly for this family, 
are interwoven. Holt McCallany plays um, uh, Fritz von Erich, which mm-hmm. is obviously not his real name as well. I was I I did a, a so yeah. for for background listening. I listened to History Highs this week, uh, which is a great podcast, which did a full cool. um, full rundown of of Fritz's evolution from being a heel. In the 1950s, I believe oh, yeah. it was, um, he ultimately played a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer, and then that, and then um, uh, despite being a Texas old boy, he kind of um, became part of the legacy of his family, which he eventually worked really hard, I think, through his kids to kind of get rid of. Um, and you know, has this sort of like uh, at the beginning of the film, we see him with his family, um, kind of saying saying something that I thought was kind of surprising, given what the history was that he was going to be. Uh, is it an uh, what was the league he was in? AWA or NWA? NWA, NWA. champion at some point. And I was like, how is that going to happen if you are uh, essentially a heel in the show? But 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 again, details. Oh, I heels are champions. Yeah heels, yeah, heels can be champions. There you go. Um, Quite often, and, it seems like sometimes I would again very minimal, but like two thirds of the time, it feels like heels are champions. Oh, okay, so yeah. heels are always champions. I mean, because you Especially, need someone no. to fight against a lot. Yeah, like yeah, to climb the mountain. It, yeah, and I I would say obviously things change throughout the years. Yeah. Like if you look at like a you know more pop culture forward facing now, like John Cena, not yeah. a heel, right? So right. like, it, but back then, yeah, you, the opportunity was there if it was the right person, whether you right. were a good guy or whether you're baby face or a heel. Mm. Right, and and the film that I actually thought a lot um, more in comparison to this rather than any wrestling film was Sofia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides. Um, because oh, ultimately wow. that's a film about um, a series of tragedies that befall a family. Now, that is obviously a fictional film, but I think the the thing that I was thinking wow. about with, with The Virgin Suicides a lot more is the kind of mysticism that goes around a family. And th- I, what I'm about to yeah. say, my this is my hottest take of the movie that I that I came out of. I want to preface this by saying this is in no way disrespectful to the true legacy of what happened to this family. And and I was deeply affected by a lot of what happened in this movie in terms of understanding the level of tragedy. But it's a very difficult level to understand. It's, it's almost so grand that it's difficult to kind of comprehend how mm. bad it is. And ostensibly, what we're talking about here is that all of the children pass away except for one, uh, Kevin, played by Zac Efron's character. Um, but I, but I, I, I thought a lot about the mysticism that the film is trying to work with, and and again, a film like The Virgin Suicides. Um, but uh, but my my hottest take was like men will literally invent a curse rather than seek therapy. Um, you know, which was just this, this idea that like there's so much, um, so much tragedy involved here um, that. It becomes mis- mythical um, as opposed to like, how do we negotiate what's happening with this family? And obviously the, f- the, the film kind of points to this idea that Fritz is at the center of why this is happening. Not directly related. He obviously doesn't want his children to die. Um, but because of the pressure that he is placing upon his family and the way that his family has been created, there is very little room to maneuver for these kids um, to, to maneuver outside of his shadow and couple that with, uh, ostensibly suicidal tendencies and, you know, uh, emotional, uh, issues within the kids themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, that leads to a series of both, uh, unfortunate incidents that are, that perhaps could have been avoided if they weren't in the ring, you know, what have you. Um, but also, uh, I I guess they would classify this sort of as a suicide cluster, 
um, where three, it's in fact, and this is, I guess, one of the bigger um, issues of the adaptation of this film is that three of the children actually committed suicide. Yeah, there was another um, although brother. Although two are depicted in this film. Um, that is an interesting choice um, that we will have to discuss in, in detail. But I guess, you know, the thing that I, uh, my, my biggest takeaway from the film is that I found it deeply moving. I found it incredibly uh, provocative in terms of of what the story was. I think I was uh, just based on what I'd seen from Sean Durkin and again thinking about the Virgin Suicides. I was sort of hopeful for a little bit more of an exploration of the kind of mythical quality uh, mm-hmm. or the mysticism or at least the kind of negotiating death in a sort of interesting way. Uh, another film that we discussed recently, The Irishman, kind of navigates mm-hmm. that issue in an interesting way. Um, but I, there's no way not to be moved um, by this. And, 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 and particularly, I think the most striking thing here, just from a pure surface level analysis of the film, is that Zac Efron really um, showed me something here that I hadn't seen from him before. And um, it was absolutely devastating. His final lines in the film when, he is Ugh, with, uh, when he's with his sons yeah. are heartbreaking. And I think... Why that's important is that first image that we saw of him, which is the body transformation. Zac Efron, um, you know, almost like an inverted Christian Bale, is known for his body transformations in his movies. Um, And this is a, it's a profound body transformation. The first, I believe the first shot is basically just of his upper torso, his chest Mm -hmm. that is shaved and is rippling. And it's kind of a sight to behold. Yeah, you're sort of like, how did this happen? Because... His body, you know, doesn't look um, doesn't look like what it once did, and also is being photographed in a way to really highlight both the athleticism inv- uh, that's required here and the sort of punishing, um, you know, self transformations that have to happen in order to do this. Now, I went back and watched a few things, and I, you know, I I have some thoughts on it, but I, you know, in terms of like who was playing who and and how this film was kind of portrayed, but ultimately, I, like you say, I don't. You know, it doesn't really bug me um, that ultimately uh, Zac Efron's character looked more like Carrie and yeah. Jeremy Allen's white looked more like Kevin. You know, like in real life, they, they, they could probably be switched. But but I think what's interesting is the family dynamics at play um, mm-hmm. and how it navigates that. And again, the, tra- the sort of the tragedy here is so grand. Uh, it's so large. It's so mythical. Um, that it's it, it's it's it can be kind of hard to comprehend in this film, and there, there's a thing that came up, which you know, as I mentioned, uh, one of the one of the sons is not mentioned here, um, and there's Chris. a reason that they did that. And I, you know, admittedly, I would probably be like, yeah, that's a that's a strange choice, but again. You know, if I if I play the film out in my head with that additional son, I'm kind of going, I could probably see why you did this. Yeah. Um, So, Matt, I'm curious what you thought of the film. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, just I'll piggyback off that before I go in. Like, I think the omission of Chris was from a from just a cinematic from from the film's perspective, very smart. Um, And it's it's I think difficult, but a difficult, but a difficult one and and, a loss. Yeah. And uh, this, in my opinion, again, outside of the entirety of how this film is made was a real disconnect between the film the filmmakers and the marketing department right because yes. that's when you start getting the true story and it's like well i like i know i sort of latch onto those things but it's it's a setup for what i'm expecting and then it I, it can't help but be 
like uh, it can't help but affect my afterthought of the the movie. Now, again, I do think from a storytelling perspective for the two plus hours I was with this family, the way it is presented is highly effective. Uh, but it's not the it's not what happened, and they moved stuff around. And again, I have no problem with it. It's just an interesting sure. thing. I I overall really really dug this movie. Um, I a, a couple interesting sort of side things. So I don't have siblings. So I'm always fascinated uh, when there are uh, highly effective stories of brothers or sisters uh, or just siblings in general because uh, it's something I never had or grew up with and don't I don't have any I have no reference point mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's always something that I don't know I can always mine interesting human moments that I have not experienced from it and you get that in spades through these four brothers in this movie. Um, that it lets you it's another reason why I, I too don't truly like think this is a wrestling movie. It is it lets you into this family for all of the good and the bad of it. Like you're you're part yeah. of the Von Erics for the entire ride, uh, even to the point. So Holt McCallany is uh, Fritz. Uh, side note. Uh, <laughs> Holt McCallany looks near identical to my dad 10 years ago oh wow it's very very straight when i saw him in in um not true Mine detective Hunter. what am i Mine thinking Hunter. Mine hunters yeah. Mine he, Hunter. and he acts like my dad like it's just it's very un- it's so bizarre it's unnerving Mm. Uh, and my dad was, I, I won't say my, I mean, he, my dad was not nearly as hard as Fritz von Eric, but like, uh, but was not a, uh, emotional man either. And it was just like watching this movie had a lot of different, like personal involvement for me mm-hmm. because like, oh, here's a man that I can relate elements to like my father here's a different situation of growing up with a father like that in a much different situation than I grew up. And then of course, all of the tragedy that sort of hits this family past the the high highs and the lows lows. And I think that all of that put together, um, what Sean Durkin kind of did was, I think I I, I want to credit this to red. I went to go see a friend of the show, red, uh, uh, Charizan's, uh, take on it when we went and saw it. He goes, he said, this movie has some of the most texture that I've ever seen. Mm. And I I was like, that's I was going to say vibes, but I'm sick of that word. And I think it's incorrect. Like texture is what this movie oozes. And it's and it's funny. There are filmmaking bits and bobs here where I'm like, oh, well, I don't like love this choice, this tiny little thing. But what they've crafted has enough intricate and deep and meaningful texture that. It's a it's a classic moment for me where not every element of the cinematic process has to either be to my taste or have me consider it be perfect to have this feel like an absolutely just overwhelmingly excellent film. Um, I really, really dug it. And I think texture is the word for me there. Um, and I was so glad that Red coined it because I definitely didn't have the right the right term for it. And that felt correct. I think like going off of what both of you have had said it's it's for me it felt like um it took my breath away in a very in like the worst way possible right in the sense of this like how do you move on how do you move forward you can almost feel um 
Kevin like this. You could feel him huddled. You could feel him get more and more closed off as the movie went on. And it, I, it, it maybe take my breath away isn't the right phrase because that's normally a positive connection. Mm-hmm. But it, it was more of like, how do I breathe through this? Mm-hmm. How do I breathe through this next tragedy that's headed our way that you could slowly see coming towards us? And I think it, it speaks to it felt like just as loud as Carrie's journey was, was yeah. as quiet Kevin's was, if that yeah. makes sense. And I think like, you know, I read an article where where Sean Durkin said that it took him like over a year to decide to lose Chris from the film. Yeah. Um, and I think that, again, showed me, the judgy one, um, <laughs> that, you know, he understood the intensity of the story and and the storytelling of it um to look at it and really examine like is there a way i could fit this family member in and still not have our audience be like oh my gosh like another you know um but yeah i think it's definitely again to my pov not a wrestling movie but wrestling adjacent if you will it is a family dynamic of complete and utter how do we breathe through this as we keep going and I think there's some really um, beautiful, intimate moments here, uh, particularly around Maura Tierney, the uh, the mother. Um, there's a yeah. moment where she's watching, I think it's Carrie's uh, um, fight against Ric Flair, and we kind of see someone in the background the of the stairs. shot, and then we realize that's, um, is it Dave was the first one to... Pass Jack away. Junior was the little one, but or... but the second the the, uh, the, the yes Dave that was Dave yeah, yeah. yeah Dave, sure it was Dave yeah I, I think it was Dave in the background of the shot, um you know and and she's really haunted by this and then there's a, there's a later scene, uh between her and Lily James's character where, uh she's kind of weeping at the fact that. Uh, she has nothing else to wear for the funeral, and it's like this is her funeral dress, and she's worn it so many yeah. times now yeah. that it's you know she's this is the the tragedy that's befallen the family, and I think um, it it works in an interesting way, which is that as you said, there's a really really sharp divide between um, the characters, and I think what's beautiful is is that opening is that first meet uh, you know meet cute between Lily James and Zach Efron's character. Mm-hmm. Apologies if I don't say the name character names because I actually found it difficult to like. I understood who each character was, but I found it difficult to like yeah. which one's Mike, which one's Chris. Right, I know Chris right, isn't right. in the movie. Which one's Carrie? Which one's Kevin? Yes. Um, so it's it's just a fault of my own there. But in that in that early scene between Kevin, uh, you know, uh, Zach Efron's character and Lily James, you know, she asks him, "What do you want?" He says, "More ribs." Um, but obviously, what he yeah. what she what he really wants is to spend time with his brothers. He loves his family more than anything, yeah. and we realize that that sequence in the water. Uh, where they're sort of like in a Texas uh, watering hole somewhere is the epitome oh, of like everything that he wants. The river ride. Uh, yeah. The river ride. Yeah, the yeah, river ride. Yeah. The river ride is such a small scene, but I have to say, as having floated down many a river with very close friends, there is literally nothing better than doing yeah. that. Like it's so nuts how yeah. awesome that is. So that that was super effective. Yeah. And and of course that comes back in later is in in a scene in the afterlife where we see mm-hmm. um and and that is yeah. a that that sequence at the uh, ostensibly what is the afterlife. I I think Jeremy Allen White's character even says, you know, like you're the mm-hmm. wearing the hat in the afterlife kind of thing. Uh is a really challenging sequence to pull off in terms of tonally just to like mm-hmm. get that in there and make sure that that actually lands without being coy, without like 
um, you know, like being bringing too, into, like on the nose. Yeah. yeah, being on the nose. But it, it's a really powerfully evocative scene. And, and it's because it's set up early on in the film with Lily James and Zac Efron, where she talk, where he talks about the only thing that he really wants is the is to be with his family and to be with his brothers. And that's and that for him is the best thing in the world. And I think what what's interesting here is the idea that uh, Fritz, uh, I believe his actual real name is Jack, right? Uh the, the, the uh, father, I yeah. believe. I, yeah, yeah. I don't um, recall off the top of my head. Is that he doesn't that. treat his sons as individuals. He treats them as interchangeable. Um, you know, like he talks about the rankings early on. He talks about... Uh, and, and as soon as, um, I believe, Dave dies, the conversation is really about how we're going to rotate the actual wrestling team, you know, together. So he's I mean, thinking about his kids not as individuals, but rather as interchangeable. He's and thinking of the family. He's too. thinking of the family yeah. and the business. Well, and, 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 and I, I think that that's, that to me is like a real, is is the heart of the issue here. It's like, again, Fritz is not a person who probably wants, you know, who obviously doesn't want his children to die and doesn't want the tragedy to befall him. But he's thinking about his kids as ranking, as players within his little... As like workers for him. Yeah, within his sandbox. And they're interchangeable. And the and I think the thing that was interesting there is that Kevin um, is... It, this this sounds uh, wrong because I've actually listened to interviews with him. I watched the Dark Side of the Ring um, mm. show with him as well. Is that he doesn't have the heart for the sport. You know, he loves his no. brothers. He loves his family. He's obviously a tremendous athlete. Um, but he, you know, at least as portrayed in the film, doesn't really care that much about winning the, you know, winning the belt. It, you know, it's it's really about the family. And, and I think Fritz's inability to kind of see his son in that way um, well, is part of, the, of of all of his children in that way. I think is part of the tragedy of the film. So it's not it's not just the deaths. It's like not it's not stopping at the first death and really acknowledging how do we navigate this moving forward and how are each of our unique personalities going to react to this differently. And that's that's I think you know the heart of what Durkin uh, does so well here. Is kind of play that challenge, and and more attorney's character, you know, like she kind of shrinks even more into the background. I think just having to navigate um, the tragedy that she's dealing with as well. So I I think it's a remarkable film in that sense um, that it is. I think I, it I gets to the heart of what the problem is. It does, but I also think like you know you just said Kevin doesn't want to win the belt. I I. I would say he wants to win that championship more than anything to make his dad. Yeah. Have to make his that dad. Moment. Yeah. It's right. not that yeah. he loves um, wrestling so hard. He wants yeah. to make no, his family but, proud yeah. and his father. Yes. Proud. And again, that goes back to his his love of his family. So yeah. Yeah. so deep. And even that, you know, that first funeral scene with the sunglasses and take the sunglasses off and okay. Yeah. It's it was almost like, okay, this guy quit, whereas no, this guy is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um he's like, this guy quit. So who's up? Who's coming up next? Yeah. And yeah. it was it was so such a jarring thirty seconds of the film to be like this is where we're going. And you see through actually weirdly both parents in this movie, and I don't know how accurate this is or not, but there are minor moments where one of the brothers will have an issue and they'll go to their parent and they'll be like, that's between you and the boys. Like just, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. Like it, it, there's no, it's weird because obviously there is love in the family, but I think I, I've said, I think I've said this on the podcast before, 
love as a concept, we as a society, I think, turn into sort of like the ultimate positive. And mm-hmm. there are elements of love that can blind you in different ways that aren't always positive. And totally. the way that this family seems structured, at least how it is portrayed in the film, is I totally believe that Doris and Fritz love their children. Like, there's no there's no question. I totally believe they are, you know, God-fearing Christians and, and, and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, but the elements of what they think is best is is in my opinion again me judging the fictional portrayal of two real people's family uh, it, it's not the correct way to go and again that's my opinion uh mm-hmm. but like they chose their that direction because they love their kids and they think that's going to be the best thing for their kids um well, Fritz is Fritz is kind of like the classic sports dad, right? Like he's a classic sports sure. dad in the movie. He's like, you know, do everything you can to to win the belt. It, because I didn't win it, you must therefore and that, win it. Right? And that comes that comes from them. obviously all of whatever Fritz's family trauma is. I mean, it's all very, you know, we yeah. we understand Cycle. this today a little more, I think, than we did then. But like, this is all this. Uh, not to get too flippant on it, but shit rolls downhill. And uh, like these things sort of play forward. And it, to be honest, the, the most fascinating part, at least of the, the, the true story of this, I, I did watch uh, that doc, the vice doc as well. Mm-hmm. It guy. seems like Kevin has, at least in a public sense, kind of broken the cycle mm. a little bit. Yeah. Um, it seems like he is a, 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 Obviously, a mix of his, you know, nature and nurture and all that jazz, but it seems as though no matter what, he's kind of his own guy. Uh, maybe the thing he took feels like a love for family and his brothers. Um, so again, I, you know, you never know, and that's not really well, what we're here to talk I think, about. But. I, I think the way the film portrays this the best is that he sells the uh, yeah. the division, right? Yeah. Like he sells it, he sells it away. He's like, look, this doesn't make sense for us anymore. Um, there's so much tragedy around it. It doesn't really make, you know, we don't actually make that much money around this. Right. Um, so, I, it, I, I you know, think, like, you know, it makes sense to get rid I, of it. I think that was the first time, though, that he made a decision for himself and not for, like, for him and the family he created yeah. and not for the family that he was born into. I think right. that was, like, that felt very impactful to me in the sense of, like, oh, he's finally taking a little bit of control over where he wants to steer the direction of his own life yeah. versus yeah. he does not just living for his dad and his brothers and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, oddly, and I think he's living for his children. Um, yes. There's that, that beautiful scene. I don't know. The, you know, this is a dad thing, but like when he's waiting for his kids by the bus, um, right. I, I don't like, it's a very short intercut scene, but I was like, I like that hit me really hard because I understand that feeling of like waiting for your kids by the bus and like how often it's the best part of your day. You know, like it is Mm -hmm. like the ultimately it's like uh, you gear your whole day around just like being able to be there when they get off the bus or, you know, pick them up after school and that kind of thing. Um, So I like and, and I understood how different a decision that was for him versus what Fritz had planned for him, you know, which is being yeah. at the ring and all that sort of stuff. So it was like, it's a very small detail, but I was like, I get it. You know, like I, I just get that moment. Yeah. 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 Um, it was, you know, it's a, it's a 
a devastating story. And I think, you know, I've read where people have said that the Von Erics are the Kennedys of wrestling and whoever wants that kind of comparison. But I think it ties back to Shahir, what you're saying about like the mythical of it all of like, you don't really know what truly happens in any of these families yeah. um, that have this kind of loss or, or curse, if you will, that Oh, go ahead, Matt. I saw I saw a light. Oh, no, I, I, mean, I did. That was not meant to cut you off. I was just going to say that is such an excellent point. And I think goes back to the texture of the film and what like. So, yeah, there are elements that they changed. There are things that we don't know about the family. There are like we, we've yeah. said all these things, but you just saying what you said, put something into clear context. There's one thing that even though this is a fictional portrayal of this family that I am a thousand percent sure of. And this is why I think this is a strength of the film is that these brothers like just loved each other so much and it was their entire world was one another. And like, that's something that even if logically I can't guarantee that that's the case, like I, I truly yeah. believe that based on the portrayal that we saw inaccuracies and all right. Like that's so, what it feels like. You know, uh, um, Bennett Miller made a film a few years ago with Channing Tatum um, and Mark Ruffalo called Foxcatcher, which, um, uh, mm -hmm. won a lot of acclaim and it was like there was one of these experiences where uh, the that I had which is that um, I watched Foxcatcher and I was sort of like a little bit confused by some of the details and of like what happened with the DuPont fam wrestling family and how it all went down and then when I went and read what had actually happened I was like oh this is very different to what the film portrayed and in a way you can see what's happened here is that the film is trying to like swing events together that don't quite yeah. line up anymore and 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 when you realize that you kind of feel a little bit you know you feel a little bit less about the film um yeah. that's how I felt about Foxcatcher in this particular case I went and did kind of the same exercise and it is and and I think there is a challenging thing here about Chris's death so um, uh, so Chris is, uh, uh, the sixth von Eric brother, um, and, and the second who committed suicide. Um, but there's an interesting thing here, which is that Chris was not athletic like the rest of his family. He was smaller. Mm -hmm. He had asthma growing up. So he had brittle bone disease or something like that. Um, and so, you know, he loved, you know, for him, uh, loving his brothers was like a really profound thing. You know, he looked up to them. He idolized them. He wanted to be part of the ring. Um, I think the, you know, like listening to the history, um, high podcast, they talked a lot about the fact that he really had to work hard to get into the ring, um, to be next to his brothers. And then eventually, um, the toll of, you know, what it did to his body. And I think the psychological impact of like trying to be there as well, uh, took its toll. And eventually he, he took his own life. And the challenging part of that is that, you're talking about a person who wanted so much to be part of the family who is then written out of the story of the family. And I think that's a very, very so um, difficult thing to do. Now, I, again, understand where Sean Durkin is coming from, where he's, you know, he, he's very talked very publicly and openly about the fact that it was a difficult decision and that he did it because he felt like the weight of the tragedies um, out, you know, didn't couldn't sustain the movie. And I agree with that. But that what what that quote highlights is the distinction between real tragedy and movie tragedy. Mm -hmm. And movie tragedy is very different because movie tragedy has to be orchestrated in a way in order to elicit a response from an audience. And we have to understand it and work with it. And and it's a complicated and, and not an exact science by any mean to actually 
negotiate how to do that effectively. Like it's it's very hard to get in all those complex factors, and sometimes it is better just to exercise them and and remove them in order to get to the the the, the quickest point. So I mm-hmm. I completely get it, but it's a very it is a very difficult thing yeah. to acknowledge here, which is that a a brother you know. The family is about brotherhood. It's about this. It's about a family. It's about the love that they had for each other uh, over anything, and yet the film removes one of them. And that mm-hmm. person has a life, has a story, has you know an entire legacy. And there's a lot that has been removed from the story. I believe Dave got family married. Members. Yeah, Dave yep. got married, had kids, Children. and the kids died uh, as well. Um, the wrestler that found um, Dave also died in a tragic. Uh, accident uh, a few years later. I think there's a there's a sort of like incredible thing around wrestling, which is that you know the body is put through so much trauma and the body is put through so much um, difficult physicality that a lot of these people do kind of crumple underneath it. You know, like and essentially that's what the wrestler, the movie, the wrestler is about as well. And it's I I I guess for me. I was sort of curious about that sort of that side of it, the kind of like the the beaten down side of it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think the movie kind of beautifully portrays the brotherhood and the love of brotherhood. But it is you can understand that there's a reduction of story that's going on here in order to get us to that point. And I think like, listen, he made some clear choices about some of the rumors that were around this family as well around drug use around addiction um around all of that and i think he made a a very clear choice to show some of that Mm -hmm. um whether that was with like the eluding of steroid use or the crushed up pills or whatever that may be but i mean you know dave in japan like that is a story that has been told many times in many ways and there has been involvement of people just removing things from hotel rooms and, you know, again, like brotherhood is brotherhood, but that in wrestling, it goes beyond the mat, mm-hmm. not to yeah. be yeah. so on the nose with that one. But um, I think that's something that like, you know, especially 40 years ago, that was a place of protection um, amongst them as a unit. And I think to your point, Shahir, is that like, yeah, the the trauma that the body physically goes through is not fake also. Mm. So I think like even though it's like that fake standpoint of like this is predetermined, you're putting your body through things. There are injuries that happen. There are unexpected things. There is hazing, like all of that that would go on though all those many years ago. And just not knowing how to be allowed to express yourself or express that like maybe I can't do this anymore or maybe this isn't for me like that just didn't exist really then so I think you know that's definitely um a side of the industry that has tremendously changed thank goodness Mm. um and is very very different even in the past you know 10 to 20 years it's so different um but it you know gradually as the decades would go on would would be identified more and would get better as much as it could that you were capable with with society at that point. But I do feel like if this family existed in this modern era of life right now, we, we would be telling a very different story. Mm. Yeah. Could we j- just briefly as well talk about the fact that each of these individual characters their stories could have been movies unto themselves. And like I was watching uh, some old mm-hmm. matches with Carrie. 
um, the other day. And like Carrie was a monster, by the way. That dude was yeah. huge. And he's played by Jeremy Allen, Jeremy <laughs> Allen White in this film. And, you know, like Jeremy <laughs> Allen White, um, I, you know, it's an interesting thing that happened, which is I think that when they made this film, the beer probably hadn't come out. And Jeremy yeah. Allen White wasn't the sort of the the center stage star that he is now. Um, but um, Carrie was incredible. And the fact that he he performed for so long without his foot. Yeah. Uh, and basically bonkers. they kept it a secret uh, in through the entire uh, as he was the Texas tornado. That's incredible. Like I, my mind is blown by that. And yeah. and imagine the trauma that that takes up, you know, to I have mean, that happen. Uh, every yeah. day to go out on stage and like have to lace up your boot and perform as well as he did. He was an incredible athlete and and then have to keep it a secret as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's shocking. Um, also, just to say it, Jeremy Allen White is forever lip in my mind from Shameless. So okay, he's always yeah. been a big, a big I mean, huge star did, in my, the, in my the, brain. The Calvin Klein ad might change that, right? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I thank you, Calvin Klein. You have thank all you. my business. Yeah. Um, but I will say, like, you know, Texas Tornado, like I said, like caught my attention and was like, mm. who is this guy running into the ring so fat? Like, this is so fun. Having, like, incredible matches with... You know, the heartbreak hit Shawn Michaels, Mr. Yeah. Perfect, like these icy titles. But all that being said, I will say the timeline was a little different than what it was in the mm -hmm. film with the accident. Um, yeah. I believe that it happened a few years prior to him winning any kind of championship. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a fact that I didn't know up until probably like 10 years ago. Like yeah. that was something that was so quiet mm. um but but again in the comparison i think i gave earlier of like carrie being or kevin being so loud uh, so quiet and carrie mm. being so loud like that's what it felt like from a character pov too was that like carrie was when you, when carrie was out in front of cameras in front of lights like yeah. you were staring at him like you were so and no clue of an injury and yeah. i think like that was even so hidden to anybody outside of his family. Like, I don't even know which other wrestlers actually knew about it. Right. So, yes, I think a lot of these characters um, could have had many, many of their own stories. Um, the History High podcast did mention that there was actually one event that it's very, apparently it's famous, uh, hard to get a tape for, but his foot, his, his boot was actually pulled off during an event. <gasps> and, and he had to like, he quickly ran into the audience, I believe, and like quickly got it back on and then got back in the ring. Uh, and apparently wow. it's very hard. To, like this is a mythical tape, apparently hard yeah. to get out. But like just imagine yeah. that you've been living this the whole no. time and then that happens. Um, no what way. That is. And I, you know, again, um, part of the uh, the way the film works, is I think they combine um, they combine kind of Chris and Carrie's death and they combine Chris and. Uh, Mike's Mike. life, um, mm -hmm. you know, sort slightly, of, yeah, yeah. They sort of join, con, you know, conjoin those things together, and it's to interesting. Like again, as someone not familiar with the tragedy, not familiar with the story, um, it, Kevin's last line, and I and I do have a brother, and I do have a sister as well. Like this, I that he, this was a guy that was part of a family, and mm -hmm. you know, his family to him was everything. And then he is no longer, you know, like he, for him, the tragedy he's going through is like, I'm no longer a brother. I used to be a brother and I'm no longer a brother. Um, I, that last line from the kids is easily a line that in the hands of a lesser filmmaker 
a lesser, you know, like complete sense of, you know, a, compl- a lesser textured film would completely devolve the entire experience. But that is a sincere, mm-hmm. beautifully delivered line. And you, and the weight of the tragedies that have come before it gives, lets us earn that line, you know, like we'll be your brother's dad. Um, yeah. You know, like it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's like, it, you know, you can't imagine it, but that's, the film has worked hard to get to that point. It's also worked hard to get to the, um, to the, the sort of afterlife sequence now, you know, in, in, uh, in discussions around suicide, um, the afterlife, you know, particularly around Christianity is, is a, is a very difficult uh, topic mm-hmm. to negotiate. And it's done with a sense, with the least amount of provocation, but the most sincere form of this is what is important to this family. And it's, I think that's very effective. It's funny. I didn't, I was curious what your takes were because when I saw it, when I, when that, when that sequence happened, the way that the sequence is bookended mm-hmm. made me believe that, again, this is all, I think, conjecture, but how I interpreted it was not that the movie was showing us the afterlife. I took it as that was what Kevin was picturing. I took it as like, and again, because there's no other, with the exception of maybe um, David watching on the stairs, there's no other like hint at anything otherworldly in the entire thing other than like the mention of a curse and and whatever. But, uh, you know, so in my in my meaning or whatever, I never I personally never took the the afterlife scene as like literal story canon of what the film was telling me more of like Carrie coming. I'm sorry, uh, Kevin coming to terms in the moment as best he could with what he hoped or what he believed or whatever, where his brothers were. Give, giving himself peace. Almost. Like in a weird, terrible I, way. I, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, like I think, I think there, I don't know if the film gets into this, but I'd probably guesstimate again, based on my understanding of like Christian um, theology and what Christian theology has to say about suicide. Um, that, that is probably not what Kevin um would have been believing but i i kind of saw it more as carry as like a vision of what carrie was ho- you know hoping for in his last note and where he said i just want to be with my brothers um and i think mm-hmm. the fact that we kind of see it through carrie's eyes when he walks out he sees he's got a foot he kind of hops on the foot yeah we journey mm-hmm. with him through it um into there and then you know again tragically well, beautifully, when he pick, when he meets uh, the first brother, and he's like, "I guess Jack you're Jr. my big brother." Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I kind of saw it that way because I think, I given again what Fritz, um, how Fritz raised the family, and how much Kevin um, wanted to appease Fritz, I probably I would venture to guess, and I get it's not stated in the film, um, but I would venture to guess that that the fact that three of the brothers took their lives took their own lives. Um, probably followed in line with Christian theology in terms of, you know, they don't go to heaven or what have you. And I think, and I think so in that respect, Sean Durkin putting it in the film uh, made it uh, made kind of a provoke, you know, thought provoking statement there because it is like a piece that they've come to. And it is uh, not based on Christian theology, obviously, Uh, you know, look at a film like um, what dreams may come. Uh, mm. you guys remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Basically, the yeah. whole thing is like she can't go to heaven because uh, she committed suicide, yeah. and so he's Limbo. trying to rescue her. Um, I, I, I would venture to guess that 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 is a you know 
uh, at least uh, would be a topic of conversation yeah. around how yeah. to portray that scene. And, then, and that's why that scene is so delicate, uh, is it's navigating all of that, but doing it kind of in this quiet, beautiful, spiritual way, which I, which I, you know, again, I thought really, was really effective. It's funny. I thought of that basically as if it was Kevin's sort of wish or like whatever or what we, mm-hmm. what he thought. Like it, it I, I thought about the Christianity of it all, and I was like, oh well, I, th- this shows me that like his love for his brothers transcends his religious belief in a way yeah. again it could all be read yeah sure of course andrea how did I mean, you take even, it what, what was your what was your or? it was it was it was beyond tough obviously <laughs> um but i think another scene that really hit me in the stomach more than anything was like when he's carrying carrie right. and you just see it was like that one close-up shot of his face and you just see the anguish and then he almost like for lack of a better word, like he just like plops him down on the table Mm -hmm. and he just has that moment. And I think when he kissed him on, on the lips, I think it was for me, I feel like that was him almost like kissing everything goodbye. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a very unique POV, I'm sure. But like, I felt like he was like, I I almost felt like he was finally like, I'm done with this. I I cannot believe that I'm at this point again and I'm done with this. Um, And that was uh, grueling. That was Mm -hmm. really, really grueling to watch and and see him have to feel all of that again. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, going back to the river scene, I think, you know, it, it can kind of take you to... Did they ever really grow up? Were mm. they kind of stuck in this childhood? Um, mm. They never really got the opportunity to be like true adults because they were just stuck in this wild life. Um, and being on that river was like their true happiness. That, Like, I don't know. I feel like those kind of river rides or however you phrase them, Matt, like really kind of define childhood for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So mm. the fact that that being so carefree in that place for them. I don't know. One it was a thing, really nice button. One thing that I kind of did want um, upon reading the real story and, and also just like from the film itself, based on its own terms, was more of a reckoning with Fritz. Um, I felt like, you know, Fritz kind of, again, shrinks away into the background of the movie. We kind of feel his presence throughout. Um, but we're not given an opportunity for like Fritz and Kevin other than at Carrie's death to really have a confrontation about about this. And, you know, when you read the real story, uh, Fritz actually developed, um, I believe, Alzheimer's or dementia or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, Fritz and his wife also separated um, mm-hmm. later in life. So Fritz was kind of left alone. And I was really, I think, again, like looking at the film on its own terms, I would have been interested to see uh, a scene or, or a storyline about Fritz you know, at you know, like having to come to terms with what's happened, and seeing how you know either the film can kind of give some humanity to what he what he's been through as well, because he's also mm-hmm. a father that has outlived um, f- five of his sons. Um, you know, the, the the tragedy of that um, is unbearable. Um, or or having the film kind of reckon with this is what you you know this is what your actions have given to us, and I, I you know, it's a challenging thing to do, but I I think sure. the film could. You know, I, I would have been interested in seeing that um, dramatically play out. And see, I feel like to counter that a little bit, I mm-hmm. felt like Kevin got to the point of 
what else can he possibly do to be yeah. able to move forward except like, you know, kind of like I'm going to wash my hands of this because what else can I lose at this point besides right. my immediate, yeah. you know? So that was kind of my take on like, I can see Kevin earlier in the film, he wanted to have those conversations. He wanted to say, you know, you're too hard on him. You're too, you know, like he said yeah. all those that, top yeah. line, but like, I think at that point, it, you're kind of just like, my life is this tragedy. What else is there? Like, he's alone. Like, that's the that's the almost like the reckoning that he needed because yeah. who else is there for him? If you watch that Dark Side of the Ring doc uh, as well, for listeners who haven't listened to it, uh, who haven't seen it, um, you know, he's living a kind of idyllic life in Kauai now mm-hmm. with his two sons who are wrestlers. Um, you know, he like they show this in the film as well as like he's got an enormous family around him, his mm-hmm. grandkids. And, you know, Shivali and I were talking about this a while back as well. Um, you know, in Indian culture, it's kind of a thing that you live with your parents uh, throughout the whole life mm-hmm. and kind of thing. I think it's it's true in Greek culture as well. Yeah. Um, and and she was and Shivali was like and she's an only child. Um, she was like, I that's what I want. You know, like more than anything, yeah. I want my parents to be around in the house as 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 we get older and i want to be there as they get older as well and i think that's what um you know kevin's done is he's created yeah, he yeah. was like everyone lives at his house the the family his his children the live at their house. yeah it, it, it's yeah. got a compound and they're all together and i think for some again for someone who's been through what he's been through it makes perfect sense you know like it, it absolutely mm-hmm. makes perfect sense keep them um, close yeah yeah exactly uh, so yeah, you know, again, uh, just to sort of wrap up my final thoughts on the film, devastating movie, absolutely devastating, mm-hmm. hard to, hard to walk away from this not affected. I think I have mm-hmm. questions about it. I have, I have things that, um, uh, elements of it that I think I would want, I, I think could have been explored a little bit further, but you know, there's no denying the weight of the tragedy and the, and how well the film depicts the weight of the tragedy. I think there's a, you know, there, there's a trailer yesterday that came out for the Amy Winehouse film. Um, oh and I was gosh. like, yeah. And I, I saw a comment, someone said something along the lines of like, perhaps there should be an analysis of, um, uh, how films exploit real tragedies, uh, and whether, you know, we can maybe track that and, and sort of identify whether the, whether a film retelling reopens a wound. And I think, I think that's a fair conversation. And I would be very curious to like, how people respond to, you know, like how Kevin responds Absolutely. to the story. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, astounding, astounding piece of filmmaking as well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, beautiful. Uh, I'll say just my thing real quick. I mean, obviously this is a film, I think if you haven't uh, g- gathered in the last uh, 80-ish minutes that we've been chatting about it, it's what I think you should go see. Uh, also, I'll, it, to, to uh, you know, piggyback off of all the other uh, things I've said, I one last thing I will mention that I did not mention before was I think it might have my favorite needle drop of the year. Oh, the Rush soundtrack? Oh, my God. Like, the yeah. it's it's and it's funny because, again, I go back to the texture thing. Like, I look at that sequence playing out and i'm like this is not it's shot well and it's put Mm. together well it's not like on its own merits it's not transcendent but the texture of the entire movie in conjunction with that sort of being the peak happiness of the boys it like it turns an, a very good moment into something that I think is transcendent. And I, again, I, I, I say texture. This, the, the one word review of this film is texture. And it really gets everything across through that. But yeah, I, I, I dug the hell out of it. Andrea, take us home. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, one to watch. Um, I think it's one that I will watch when I need to cry um, <laughs> consistently. And um, I think it's, you know, it's taking the wrestling hat off of my brain. I think it's, which is hard to do. Um, I think <laughs> it is is a film that shows you more than ever to break a cycle, to talk to people, to understand that trauma is everywhere but to also know that it is okay to not have to live with that trauma in every moment of your life because I feel like this family just lived with trauma inside of them deeply um I think as judgmental as I was when this was first announced I'm quite happy with um the respect and research that went into it and the the pieces that came together to tell the story and um I would hope that uh, you know, for for Kevin and for his family that exists now, you know, he made an appearance on AEW when the film was released. And um, there is such a respect factor there for him in the industry still. The Von Erichs were inducted into WWE Hall of Fame. I think despite the way those brothers left the world, I think they gave so much to an industry and that industry really knows that. So beautifully done. Um can always pick and choose little things that I would like to change, but isn't that the story of our lives? Yeah. Uh, but 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 really, really beautifully done. And thank you guys so much for having me on to talk about it. Yeah. This has been the only podcast about the film The Iron Claw. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on Thanks. the show. When you are not, uh, you know, um, trying, well, actually probably not trying. When you have accepted that the wrestling hat will never come off, where can folks find never. you? Um, you can find me on all of the socials at Andrea DeCoolest um, because I am humble. <laughs> and it's, it is A-N-D-R-I-A, not E-A, um, D-A-C-O-O-L-E-S-T. Um, and hopefully you're watching some of the content I'm putting out into the world. So we'll see you on the networks, the streamers, and all the places. The People's nice. Choice Awards are the first, uh, first things coming up, right? Yes, February 18th. Tune in to NBC Peacock E. Uh, we'll be on all of them on the 18th of February at 8 p.m. Eastern. Tune in. Uh, you should. Uh, do you get to do like a red cam walk just for, uh, you know, red carpet walk for yourself? I'll do a pose on my step and repeat. Nice, nice. Post it to your Instagram. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I will, for sure. <laughs> uh, Shahir, when you are not... Uh, Feeling the pressure of a pinky and a thumb pushing in on your temples. Where can folks find you? Damn it. I was going to say exact. This is how this is how in sync we become. I was going to say the exact same thing to you, Matt. Uh, you can find me finding synchronicity at my website at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-D. Or my company site, suvanova.com. That's S-U-V-A-N-O-V-A. Uh, Matt, when you are inceptioning yourself into my brain and stealing <laughs> ideas that I thought were mine but were actually yours. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me drinking the cream of the crop over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works from 12 years ago. But more likely, you should check me out over on Extra History and Extra Credits. I believe on the history side of things, we're doing a series on Wu Zetian, the only Chinese female emperor. Her story, her story is... Right. It's it's so adjacent to like crazy wrestling sort of myth. Like so it, it, cool. it, she's she is. It's fascinating because when she ended up in power, all of the players were like just 20 somethings not used to political intrigue. So like everything that happens feels like a college thing. It's crazy. Uh, and then over on the uh, credit side, we're talking about 
I believe by the time this comes out, if not already uh, later this week, uh, we'll have an episode called uh, How the Internet Killed the Board Game Store. And it's basically about how uh, the, the story the, of Amazon, right? Uh, well, we call it we, for for legal reasons. We mm. call it the Crackazon. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> maybe we make it look like a kraken in the ocean. But there's that's a big take of it. But there's also other elements that different game companies also did because some financial need, etc. So it's just a fascinating look at like how that landscape has changed. So please go check both of those things out. Audrey, um, do you have uh, any films coming up that you're excited to see that you, we should be talking about? <laughs> Um, I don't know. You know, nothing that's in my mind at this moment, but I will Maestro. you guys will be my first Oh, yes, that's a great one. Thank you for the reminder. But when you even brought up the Amy Winehouse um trailer that dropped, yeah. um I worked really closely with her right before her death. So Oof. I am oh. I am very much into seeing where that story is going to go. Um, but yeah, no, you know, you guys are always my first text if I have questions about all the things. So <laughs> It's funny, Matt. I am who I am. uh, Matt, we got a couple of emails. uh, We'll read them out next week. But both emails came immediately after these people had listened to our episodes and were giving us reasons not to do Ribble Moon. Um, I I read the emails. You read the emails? Yeah, I was like, I was. So uh, next week, Rebel Moon. Rebel Moon. Next (laughs) week. We're doing it. Because you asked us not to. Give the people what they want. Give the people what they don't want. (laughs) What they've never asked for. What they've never asked for. That's basically how this podcast came to be. Give the people what nobody wants. In a serious way, no one has asked for that. No, that's fair. Anyway, we will talk about some film next week. Until then. Enjoy using your ears for other things. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.